Hello everybody and welcome to This Game Where Plague Edition with me, Ashley. <laughs> I'm the plague victim himself, Chris. Thanks for that, Ashley. You're welcome. Chris, you look absolutely atrocious. A right state. I don't think I've got the plague. I've definitely not got coronavirus. Just want to put that out there. No, you've been. Have you been checked or? I've had a LFT, done a little, done a swab on okay. my tonsils, tonsils. Oh, Jesus, swab on the tonsils up the nose, doing the drips on the little thing, and yeah, I've, I've, not, got sim- I've not got any symptoms. To be fair, I just feel rough. Yeah, if, you look if, it. If we're in the cheers, if we're in the same room, you'd have to wear one of those plague doctor masks. Yeah, I wouldn't be in the same room as you. Or... No, that, that's fair. The last couple of days, I've just been pretty much sleeping, and I've also been watching lots of The Terror. So, um, Oh, I'm... we finished it at the weekend. So, so I feel a bit hallucinatory at the moment, just like, you know, yeah. I, think I, might, I might see some, some sort of demon polar bear out the corner of my eye or something. So if I have an issue at some point, it's it's a combination of too much of that and being ill and not enough sleep, okay. essentially. Are you enjoying The Terror so far? It's very good, isn't it? It is very good. Yeah, it reminds I'm... me of The Return of the Obra Dinn, which is a game that I played last year. Yeah, and also reminds me, I've just finished reading a book I recommended to you called The Devil in the Dark Water, which is about a demon mm. um, plaguing a boat in the 1700s or 1600s, which was absolutely excellent. So I read read the book and then started watching the terror and it was it was it was really weird that i had this uh this this crossover media of uh demons on ships and great synergy yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Mm. cool well we should probably because i'm gonna i'm being kind to you today i've made the choice of game to fit the fact that you are falling apart yeah because last last time i was poorly we did theme hospital so uh we can't cover that again this time no we can't there are plenty others we could have done project hospital or two-point hospital but i haven't gone for that angle you want to think kind you're ill too often to stick to the hospital themed games it's true run out too quickly i'm a sickly little boy a little victorian waif it does theme that way to Mm. me so what's that make you then a, a strapping man i don't know I don't see anybody or do anything, so right. the chances of me getting ill are, are very slim. Yeah. I think that's the difference, really. You're out and about, lardy dowering it up. Swanning around, that's what I do. Yeah. Go on then, what is it? Right, so this today's game is this game where you take on the role of a Norse raider who sets out to find their fortune raiding the towns and villages of England in the Middle Ages and gets embroiled in a centuries-old conflict between two ancient and mysterious sects. That's with a CTS, not an, e, not an X. Right, thank you for that clarification. Is it an Assassin's Creed? Oh, yes! Yeah, right. Assassin's Creed. That might have been rubbish. <laughs> so, uh, yes, it's an Assassin's Creed. There you go. Now I've got options for, for the cut. It's Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's the latest Assassin's Creed. So we are going to we're gonna have a little chat about it. I'm going to tell you Great. why I've been playing it basically exclusively for the last three months and also why my wife, Hannah, has spent more than 100 hours playing it as well. So wow. between us, we're, we're over 200 hours. Is this since Christmas? Yeah, yeah. So 200 hours in three months, that's really good going. Yeah, it's a rather rangy game, but we'll get to that. So what do you know about Assassin's Creed as a series? Well, I know about it, but I've not even played a single minute of any Assassin's Creed game ever. How about that? I thought that might be the case. I genuinely thought that might be the case. And also, I'd go so far as to say, I'd take an extra step and say that you actually have absolutely zero interest in playing one minute of an Assassin's Creed game. No, I think they're the sort of game... I think it's like golf or wife swapping. I think if I did it once, I'd get a bit of a taste for it, and then I I wouldn't be able to stop. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I I played the first Assassin's Creed. In fact, Assassin's Creed, the, the original Assassin's Creed. Have I ever told you how I got my Xbox 360? <laughs> no, you haven't. 
Okay, so when I was at university, I had a little game that was a distraction from essay writing. And my little game, I'm I'm sure I must have told you this, my little game was to go on eBay and bid up people's people's (laughs) items. Can you see where this is going? So you gazumped people? Yes. Is that... That's the term. Yeah, but I didn't ever want to actually get the item. Is that gazumping? You did it for lols. Because uh, I thought gazumping had something to do with going to the estate agent and putting in a bid directly to the estate agent, even though it's already been sold or something like that. But let's not get into gazumping too much. Maybe you were guflumping because that was, you know, you were doing it just for being an arse, basically. Maybe. We, yeah, that's really what it was. It was like eBay trolling. <laughs> it, it's as close, to be honest, it's as close as I've ever been to trolling. Oh, whatever. But I used to stuff off you. <laughs> It is the closest I've ever been to trolling. I'm not into all that sh- shite. But this was something that I used to do. I put in a bid that I thought would get out outbid on an Xbox 360. Swanned off to have me tea in because I was in halls at the time and I, I was on catered halls. So I swanned off. We spent we, we were about away for about half an hour to an hour, and in that time it ended and I won. Right. Much to my dismay, because it was about £200 that I didn't have. (laughs) But at least it was something that you would have got use out of, rather than, I don't know, bidding £300 on a, I don't know, a a portrait of an old woman or something. I personally think that there was an element of me kidding myself, and that actually the the price that I put in for the Xbox was probably a winning bid, and I knew it was a winning Mm. bid. Deep down. But yeah, like I was trying to get myself an Xbox without the guilt of spending the money. Instead, I had to deal with the idea that like I'm going to have to really manage my money (laughs) from now on because I'm £200 odd down. Because by doing that, you'd sort of accidentally, quote unquote, got an Xbox rather than going out of the way. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh dear, I bought an Xbox by accident. I think that's what was going on, Mm, but it was was over 10 years ago now. So before... Before you move on with that story then, what was the best slash worst item you guflumped? It was the Xbox. By I stopped doing it after this. Right. I'd been doing it genuinely, whether I was kidding myself or not. I was terrified at the thought that I might do it again and end up with something that I didn't want. <laughs> but how many how many things had you done it to prior? Oh, it was like a, it was a, when I went to university, probably I'd been, that was, when was it? It was just before Easter that happened. So I'd been there just over six months, probably. So over the course of six months, I'd maybe done it a handful of times. So it wasn't oh, like a big okay. old, I wasn't trawling eBay. It wasn't like spending 10 hours a day on yeah. eBay trying to piss people off. That was the image I had was you just doing that all, all day long. But no, apparently not. Not that at all. It was just occasionally, like if I was bored, I'd go fiddle around on eBay and see like lust after the things that I did want mm. and maybe put in a cynical and spiteful bid to try and make people pay too much money for things that I wanted. Well, I mean, I was the, a well adjusted young man. <laughs> the sellers would have been happy because they'd have ended up with more money. So, you know, you were doing exactly. them a favor. I was doing my part for, for capitalism. Absolutely. <laughs> totally along. The lines of my character that I'm definitely a capitalist whore. Absolutely. Can I say that? I don't know if I can say that. I might well, take that out. I think if you're calling yourself a capitalist whore, that's okay. Okay, cool. I'm so glad you got, that we've got that sorted. So I bought this Xbox. accidental Xbox. I, I don't know when. It must have been Christmas. So it came out in 2007, um, the original Assassin's Creed. Uh, and that actually, I would have got my Xbox in 2007. I 
bought Assassin's Creed because it was it looked so good to me. For anyone that doesn't know. <laughs> whoever that is, whichever one person that is, what Assassin's Creed is. Assassin's Creed is this series that takes historical settings and places you into them in the guise of reliving memories of people that existed in that in that time period. And the first one was set in sort of... I th- uh, let me just get this right. Was it Holland? No, it was the, it was the Middle East, I think. Oh, so not Holland. It's a bit hazy, to be honest. Uh, but it was around the Crusades. It was all set around the Crusades. And you took a... Uh, you took the role of an assassin in the... Uh, it was actually the Hashashin, which is historically where the word assassin comes from. Yeah. Um, already very convoluted storytelling, and it doesn't get any better, which which you'll gather as we talk about it a bit. Was the whole jumping back into people's... Because I'm aware of that as a concept, that the games are where you're replaying through the past. Was that in it from the first game, or was that something that was introduced? Yes. Right, it was, okay. You started off as, in, in the past, you were... A character called Altair and he was like a new inductee into this assassin's guild um and then in the future or the modern day or whenever it would have been you were a person called Desmond and Desmond is the descendant of Altair so oh, okay. through the magic of genes however this works they use this machine called the animus to access these latent memories that are stored in his genetic sequence of, of Altair and his uh, stuff uh, the people that are doing that they're the baddies in that game so they're actually trying to figure out some stuff about Altair that's going to help them to destroy the assassins in the present day of course but that that's that game and I'm sure we'll talk about that one at length in due course it was actually the first the reason that I've brought it up and talked about it too much already is because it was the first game I bought that in 2007 it was the first game that I ever saw in HD oh okay can you remember the first game you ever saw in HD um I remember going to a friend's house and he was showing me an HD TV channel, and I couldn't tell the difference. Whereas I can now, so I think he maybe had something oh, okay. wired up wrongly. In terms of a game, I think it was possibly when I went to a games expo in about 2009, maybe 2010, mm. and they had some games there that were in HD. And it, well, obviously it was an expo, they were trying to make them, you know, sell them essentially, and they looked amazing. Mm. Yeah, like, so I had this um, square 4x3 TV, CRT TV, uh, that I used to play games on. Old and school. Did I have a, the, the yellow, white and red? No, I was using SCART. Thing. SCART, oh, even even more old school, right. It wasn't old school at the time, that's the thing. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sort of, I'm not I'm not showing me retro cojones no, no, to you uh, in saying this. It was it was a big CRT TV. We'd had it for, my mum my had given me it when she got a new television uh, to go off to university with. This CRT TV, it was great for what it was. And my, I think it was my brother had bought a an HD television. He'd somehow got an HD television fairly early on that really, wasn't it? off the back of the lorry and i know not off the back of the lorry right. i know it wasn't a straightforward transaction but i can't remember the ins and outs uh it wasn't illegal it was just abnormal atypical not your usual cap you know solid capitalist transaction absolutely and i i knew he had this television and i knew also that i think i was going to stay at their house for christmas i'm going to spend christmas at their house so i actually i packed my xbox 360 into my bag and trawled it from sheffield where i was at university to lincoln their house in lincoln and when everyone went to bed i set up the xbox on this television turned it on and was like i didn't expect it to be that different Mm. but i was absolutely gobsmacked by the level the level of detail and how crisp everything looked it was insane one of the biggest transitions that i've ever actually physically felt um 
in gaming you know like everyone wants that moment of super amazing graphics or whatever from yeah. going from the PlayStation 4 to PlayStation 5 people will want something that they're probably not going to get but the actual transition between those generations into HD was notable mm. and I, I guess I didn't go through that because I had a the telly I had at university was one that had a built-in video player so it was this boxy thing it was really chunky and it had a um the, the, the connector at the back was one of those ones I, I'm sure it's got a name it's it was like a rectangle but one of the sides was at a, an angle like that and this is this is really good audio uh, for people listening yeah I've no idea what you're trying to describe and I'm looking at you try and explain it with your hands <laughs> it's a rectangle so, but one of the sides the, the shorter sides goes that's up a scart that's oh. a scart okay well I had a scart on it then <laughs> and then I also was using a Wii at the time for my console i didn't get an xbox 360 until quite a while later so obviously the wii it didn't have hd did it no well this is the thing because i i didn't explain because it wasn't it wasn't necessary uh, but i also had a wii i'd got my wii into so i started university in september 2006 the wii came out in november 2006 and i got mine the day that i was leaving to go home for christmas they rang me up and i trooped down to the mall in uh, in sheffield and grabbed it from game now i think it was or game station it was uh, and then we we all i mean that was in itself that was a whole thing because we i i think the, it might have been the first Wii for, to enter the re- halls of residence. And there right. was people like that just stuffed into the doorway watching us play this Wii, like yeah. throwing our hands around the air and stuff. It, like people were gobsmacked by that as well. But that is a different story for another day. Just before we wrap on that, that was for me that moment you just said about where you said to your Xbox at your, your brother's house when I first played a Wii and I was holding the controller and doing the Wii yeah. tennis. I, I was absolutely gobsmacked i thought it was incredible so did i i thought it was i i loved the Wii. i actually still love the Wii. i think it's a great console the problem is that it's flooded with dross and you need to really dig there are there are so many so many brilliant games that we will end up covering on this on this show you just need a sieve don't you to separate you do need a huge sieve to to get to the good stuff um we're way off tangent. We're way off task, and, and we need to come back because you you look like you're melting. <laughs> That's how bad Chris looks Shit. at the moment. His face is just dribbling down. Like an ice uh, cream his, in the sun. His front. Exactly. So Assassin's Creed, that is the start of Assassin's Creed in 2007. Assassin's Creed, I always thought that it seemed to share some genetic material with Prince of Persia. Mm. And it turns out that i was correct i didn't actually know i'd always just assumed but apparently the concept for assassin's creed was born out of some prototyping for prince of persia 2 like the the follow-up to sands of time uh, that had come out on playstation 2 and the xbox and the gamecube and so what a great game that is oh exactly i had absolutely adored prince of persia sands of time too i had this number two and number three didn't quite get through them Mm. again though we'll talk about that because i keep finding things to talk about and we need to stay focused get through this so yeah it was actually born out of prince of persia sands of time which makes a lot of sense because you've got this acrobatic element to it the actual and the setting and the settings yeah certainly the setting for the first game the acrobatics in prince of persia is just it's like generic acrobatics isn't it but actually from the off in this series in assassin's creed they're using a parkour mechanic Okay. Are you familiar with parkour? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I went through a phase yeah. probably about what? 10 years ago. Oh, no, not doing parkour. Jesus oh, Christ. Oh, okay. I was going to say, you just out and about throwing yourself around. No, no. I just got really big into it, like on, on YouTube and, and just watching, just spent hours watching videos of it because I think it's amazing. And then um, that District 13 film. Have yes. you seen that? I have seen District 13. Yeah. yeah. And I, I got a bit obsessed with that. And then the sequel as well. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Big into parkour. Just as a, as a spectator, well, not as a, parkour, a, a doer. Yeah, no. I, I'm in the same boat. I think the whole world is, to be honest. People that do parkour mm. seem to be doing impossible things. Like yeah. jumping off, uh, jumping three stories down off a roof or something like that. And just landing and doing a roll. Yeah. And you think that that's the stuff of video games. And then they actually start doing it in real life and video games realize they've been doing it wrong all along because then they start to implement these parkour mechanics and it possibly started with Assassin's Creed actually I can't think of anything before that where you were clambering around the the environment in the way that you did in the first Assassin's Creed climbing up buildings and running along there was was it was it Mirror's Edge was the parkour game but well Mirror's potentially Edge after this but I think that was after this yeah. I think it was I wish I checked I've got it on list here because parkour became a massive thing like in the late yeah, 2000s and it was implemented in films and in games in games assassin's creed obviously mirror's edge which you've you've said uh, already crackdown crackdown 2 they they had it in the prince of persia reboot which i actually really enjoy so the reboot of the reboot has elements of parkour in it titanfall and titanfall 2 right. dying light it's it's a thing that's never gone away it, it started sort of late no- noughties hmm. and it's just carried on probably because parkour in games makes traversal feel a lot more fun yeah the fluidness and ghost runner that's another one that's just uh, recent i think it released last year and i think it's that you know it, it, it's like you said it's making it easy to get around but also it's fun to do and games that are, mm. are quite serious and you know that realistic sometimes it's not quite as fun because they're trying to be too realistic. I mean, there's a game I'm going to bring next week, for example, where for me, realism trumped enjoyment of the game. Yeah, I, there's that. But then there's this element of actually parkour is realistic. It's just beyond most of us. Yeah. So parkour, parkour was an attempt to inject some fun, dynamic realism into games that would benefit from it or or probably even games that wouldn't have tried because parkour was all the rage yeah so yeah that's what appealed to me about assassin's creed in the first place and that's what i've enjoyed going forward as well like being able to certainly with the um assassin's creed 2 and brotherhood and revelations all that they're called like Ezio auditory storyline uh he's the assassin character that you, right. you play as in those games and i really really enjoyed those you were clambering around different places in italy and so you'd be in Florence climbing all over buildings that you could go to sit go and see now as as a tourist mm. and that's one of the things that has always appealed to me about the games like the the historical settings and the fact that there are these places that have been preserved over time that you get to see rebuilt in and reimagined in situ um in their historical context you yeah. know so um I, I really enjoyed that. I'm not a huge, huge history buff, but I do like history and I do like learning about stuff what's happened. And and that's something that you actually get in Assassin's Creed in one form or another. Ezio Auditore, actually, as well. He, one of the characters in that was Leonardo da Vinci, ah, okay. which was fun in, in and of itself. So yeah. you'd go to him and he'd set you tasks to do and stuff. Uh, it, it was a good old game. I'm guessing he gave you some crazy inventions or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That sort of thing. 
I mean, you've, you've mentioned there are a couple of Assassin's Creed games. How many are there in total? Because I think um, it's quite a lot. Maybe about 100. A good question. And I started... I started counting them and then forgot to finish. Right. So uh, I can't remember. I can't, there's, that, there's that many. They're uncountable. What I was thinking was, on average, there's probably more Assassin's Creed games than there are years since Assassin's Creed came out. So okay. uh, they've probably actually averaged more than one game a year. And I forgot to confirm that. And I'm not going to bother because you're poorly. We don't need to drag you through that mire, do we? The, the point uh, is, but, there's, there's quite a few. Yeah, what I can tell you is they started off, they released the first game in 2007 and I think the second in 2009. And then from that point onwards, they were aiming and succeeding in making it an annual franchise. So there was right. a new Assassin's Creed game every year and actually that was for me that was a bit of a that was a massive downside because i was playing them on the regular and it was getting to the point where i couldn't finish the the one that i'd started before the next one came out because i lost my interest i lost the impetus that what it was no longer special it sounds like what we talked about in a couple of our previous episodes with the lego games where they were were releasing at least uh, one a year if not two a year at some points and then eventually yeah. they stopped about two or three years ago it sounds a bit similar to that that is exactly what's happened actually so they did a sort of a soft reboot and that's where i've sort of been Ah, driving towards they did a soft reboot three games ago with um assassin's creed origins and that is set that's actually my favorite assassin's creed game it's set in egypt ancient egypt and the pyramids are sort of freshly built or Mm -hmm. or close to and there's still like memphis has got big huge temples towering over the landscape and you can go out into the desert and ride around on camels and stuff has the is has the sphinx still got a nose i wish i could remember (laughs) i think it might do yeah i think it might do but i can't remember off the top of my head i like that one and actually that Mm. took the um historical angle one step further because one of the download uh, one of the updates they did actually allowed you to go on a tour of of the pyramids and the and the towns and cities of of ancient egypt and it was like a historical tour like you'd go to the famous landmarks of egypt that's cool yeah i thought so and another thing that i think happened with that game and i might bodge this a little bit but I'm sure people won't mind. The dev team had done such extensive research that they speculated that a particular pyramid, they thought that based on the architecture of of other pyramids and based on the design of this pyramid, they speculated that there was a chamber hidden in a certain point in this pyramid. So they built it into the game. And then months after the game came out, that was actually confirmed. Like that was realized. They went and excavated this pyramid and found this hidden chamber that the dev team had speculated would be there. That's very cool. I thought so, yeah. I thought so too. That game is just a phenomenal game, largely for the exploration element and being able to go to these places and see them in in their context, as I've said before. Yeah, I'm trying to think what you're talking, because ancient Egypt is one of those things that people get really into, and it's genuinely, I think, quite interesting. Mm. But I can't think of many games off the top of my head that actually have got ancient Egypt as a, a theme. Yeah. So to have that is also quite unusual. Yeah, Exactly, and that's what the Assassin's Creed series, I think, does well, because you have a new setting for pretty much every game. Assassin's Creed 3 was Revolutionary America. I really wanted to play that one. That was sort of when my enjoyment died down, but I wanted to play that one because it was the first one that had an element of wildlife to it as well, So, and like a, a rural area to explore, and you could climb trees and things. But that was actually where I dropped off the bandwagon, and I didn't pick it up again properly until... I, I played a bit of Black Flag, which sees you in the Caribbean Sea as a pirate, uh, which uh, people love that game. 
People like you pirates, can don't sea they? Sea shanties. Yeah, they do. Uh, I, of what I've played of it, it's a it's a very enjoyable experience. But I didn't really get back into it until Origins with the ancient Egypt, ancient Egyptians. Oh, Revolutionary France as well. They did that one. Uh, they did a Victorian England, uh, Victorian London. This one though, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is what I'm supposed to be talking about. Yeah, I'm kind of treating it as a bit of a like a backdrop of the whole series. But no, it's good. It's in, it's interesting because there's good, some of things glad. there. There's yeah you know having a game set in i don't know revolutionary france that sounds genuinely quite interesting to me yeah and i, I know that games i know don't nothing do. well um marie antoinette yeah i was gonna say marie antoinette um, i was gonna say yeah. like, that's that's the uh start and end of my knowledge of the the french revolution let them eat cake see oh that's spanish bugger <laughs> yeah exactly and that's it, that is what appeals to me about the Assassin's Creed series. For, for whatever they get wrong, the fact that you are being given these settings that... I mean, how many times have games gone to World War One and World War yeah. Two? Even outside the FPS genre, they, they're overused. How rich the history of the world is, and, mm. and yet we, we stick to these well-trodden paths. And I'd love to see more games actually take a a bit of a risk in terms of where they're set like assassin's creed has so assassin's creed valhalla then which is the new the newest iteration of these games you take on the role of a of a viking i i was a bit coy about saying i called him a called them a norse, norse raider because i didn't want to say viking because i thought it would make it too obvious right. but you are a viking you were either a male or a female um avor or avor both named the same and you Could are you part say- of this yeah, you are part of this clan. Your mum and dad get killed at the beginning of the game. Spoiler. You are taken in by the king and you are basically raised as his child alongside his son, who becomes your brother in air quotes. You then later on, when you're older, when you when you grow up, you set out with your brother in air quotes to find your own fortune and you land on the shores of England and England I mean one of the things that this game does is that I didn't expect from it is set England set the history of England in a way that makes it make more sense to me that I never really thought about before but I'll come to that um, okay. in a moment you land on the shores of England and you you're just below Lincolnshire just above Oxfordshire do you mean Cambridgeshire yeah well you'd think so but it's not <laughs> oh it's not so you've got you've got Lady Chestershire to your northwest right you've got Lincoln Lincolnshire to your northeast yeah and then you've got Oxenfordshire to your south Hannah Cambridgeshire's not in the game is it no it's sort of what's the what's the G one the first place Grantham Grantbridgeshire yeah yeah so Cambridgeshire where you would think Cambridgeshire yeah. would be. It's called Grantabridgeshire. And is that which is, presumably is the Is that historically accurate? I would expect so, yeah. Huh. I'm not entirely I haven't checked. Well let's assume it is and you've taught me something new today. I assume that Cambridgeshire is uh springs out of Grantabridgeshire. Okay. And actually Peterborough, I think, is I might be getting this wrong, Peterborough, which is in Cambridgeshire now, is actually in Lincolnshire in the game. So boundaries will redrawn and so on you've got all these places all the way up to yorkshire to mm-hmm. like the top of yorkshire and S- snottinghamshire which i quite liked <laughs> of course you do yeah and then down to the to the south coast so you've got quite a stretch of england to explore obviously the first thing that i did as when i set foot on england shore was run through lincolnshire and see what i could find because that's where we live yep. um and i ran i ran all the way to the humber which is where i live to grimsby they got grimsby down quite well it's it had it had one fishing boat and about three people living in huts and i thought yep there's grimsby standard it was quite fun actually that bit because lincolnshire is a higher level 
area you're supposed to wait till later but i didn't want to wait so i went i ran up to lincoln i went and tried to find the cathedral it's not there oh which i don't know whether that's right or wrong but it's not there unfortunately it would have been good to see what year is the setting yeah fifth, good question fifth, well if it's, if Around, it's vikings it'd be like the 14 15, no i think it's no, ninth. i think it's ninth oh, century i was way out there bit early yeah so middle english uh, middle middle ages runs from fifth to the 15th yeah you're uh, that right. thousand year span I'm, I'm, it's because I've, I've read that book I talked about at the start, the, the Devil in the Dark Water. I've just got, I've, I've just got uh, the 1600s in, in my mind. Yeah, I mean, you've, if you've got Vikings running around in the 1600s, Shakespeare was the 1600s. Yeah, so. of course he was. Yeah, Lincoln is Roman, so presumably it would. Yeah. It, well, not presumably it would have been there when they the Vikings. Oh yeah, Lin- Lincoln is there. Lincoln's a big city right. in the game, and and that's what. I think gets lost in the way that we teach English, uh, the way we teach history, or, and certainly our own history. Because I remember talking about the Angles and the Saxons and the and the Vikings and the Romans when I was in primary school. I remember being taught about all of them and also their impact on this country and the way that like invasions happened and the Romans came and to us and the and the Vikings and the Jutes and all that. But what you don't realise. Or what I never realised, maybe other people are smarter than me, but what I didn't factor in was that these things happened one after, like after mm. one another, and the spans of time between them meant that actually, when the when the Vikings were landing, the Vikings I think of as an ancient race, but when the Vikings were landing on our shores, the Romans had been long gone, and actually mm. their buildings they were ruins. So. The same way as you walk down Lincoln High Street and you see Roman ruins as you walk through. That's exactly the same experience that the Vikings would have yeah. with the Romans. They would see them as a long, a long since disappeared power. And then you've got at the same time you'd have had 1066 would have been when the Normans were landing down the south and then yes. taking over as well. So that would have been happening not simultaneously, but not long after the Vikings. Yeah, in relative terms. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it, it sort of contextualizes where they sit in relation to each other. Certainly, certainly the way the Romans related to the, this fight, the Viking period, which is an interesting thing in and of itself. At the same time, there aren't any really strong landmarks. In the same way that I liked going and clambering around on on top of like Italian Renaissance buildings that are yeah. still standing now, there aren't any really strong landmarks existent in the game that I that I can think exist now for us. So you go to London in the game, and there's a massive Colosseum. I don't know of any Colosseum ruins in London. Not that I'm aware of. No. No, I, I, I hoped it wasn't just me. So we're, we're sort the, of lacking... Is the London Eye in it? No, surprisingly oh. not, no. Yeah, sorry about that. The okay. Thames as well, that's missing. But That's kind of iconic, isn't it, for London? Yeah, no, it's there. I, yeah, I know, I was, I was playing along. I was along. winding you up. Yeah, well, I was playing along. You can't carry on playing along when <laughs> I'm playing along with what you're doing. It ruins it. So, yeah, that's, that's one of the drawbacks of this game, actually, because you don't have the same sort of visceral, I suppose, link between the now of the place and the then of the place, because mm. the then of the place has... It's all but disappeared. So is, is that because... Is the map absolutely enormous and maybe they've, they've focused more on the... Uh, size of the map rather than the detail possibly uh and how how big is how big is the map i mean the map the map is enormous in in game terms the map's enormous it's still sort of something ridiculous like seven or eight kilometers from the top to the bottom that's a guess but so like it from the top of yorkshire to the south coast is about eight kilometers probably our hannah's just popped up 
to show me that the amphitheater did actually exist. So that is Whoa. that is um, yeah, there was, that is uh, there was an amphitheater correct. in London. Yeah, apparently, that's... like the like the Roman Colosseum. So cool. I don't know. I'd have to have a look at the details. That's my research letting me down there, isn't it? The map is big, about eight kilometers, I would guess, from top to bottom, and you can row, you can take your boat up and down the uh, the rivers and stuff, or you can run about or ride a horse and things. If you're walking it or running it or whatever from top to bottom, how long would that take in the game? It would, if you ran it, it would take a fair while, probably getting on for forty minutes to an hour. Wow. Okay. But okay. that is a guess. That is a guess. So I've never done it. It is massive. I can't remember where I was. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna segue into something that is related somewhat to it. So it's massive, and that actually is a bit of a drawback because you you can they've populated it in the same way that you like in The Witcher. You might have come across these side quests. They've populated it with lots and lots of little side quests. Some mm-hmm. of which are good and some of which are not some of which are i feel like a bit of a waste of time and a bit of padding you've also got what hundreds make, and hundreds what makes the bad ones bad just like lack of lack of story or just uh throw it a bit too throw away not really very engaging there are Be- some where you go busy work and the you, of it. yeah or even just nothing like you've traveled out of your way you get there you activate this quest thing and it is just someone talking and then that's it Right. You listen to them talk, and then that's done. There is one that uh, that is that nature that stands out, where a man's got an axe stuck in his head, and he's sort of a little bit delirious and doesn't know what's going on. And you have to tell him, uh, "You got an axe stuck in your head. Maybe we should pull it out." And he, um, and then you pull it out, and he dies. Ah, uh, okay. And that, and then that's that. So that was how they first dis- they first discovered the brain and language. There was a guy who got a railway through his head. It was blasted into it through yeah. his through his eye socket, wasn't it? And yeah. went through his frontal lobe or something, yes. and it changed the way he. Yeah, indeed. Well, the Vikings were onto it way before then. <laughs> so size wise, it's huge. Um, lots of ground to cover, lots to explore, which is the upside to that because I love exploring in games, and these are no exception. The length of the game is it's just like ridiculous. It's too much. There's that. They've frankly been far too generous. There are things that are in this, in this product, that I think in any other, in any other studio, and I and in this studio in previous games would have been like DLC, and people would have been thankful for it. I'm Such not a massive as. proponent of DLC, but there's a whole quest line where you go and visit Asgard and the gods, and you play as as one of the gods. Right. You like go into the. You, you take this potion. You end up in Asgard, and you you walk you walking around Asgard trying to solve this mystery about this builder who has come to build you a tower that's going to keep you keep Asgard safe. And it's I think that's based on one of the Norse myths. So you play this out, and then you come out of that, and then you go back. You can go back into it later at a higher level, and you travel from Asgard to Jotunheim, which is the land of the giants, the frost giants, and you do you do like a little story sequence there, and a Apparently, this is according to Hannah, not according to my well-done research. Right. Hannah told me that there are six elements to that. There are six stages to that thing. And, I mean, it took uh, some hours to do the first one. I won't be going back to do it myself. That Hannah's on the Hannah's on the Ottenheim thing. That does feel very much like DLC. I completely agree because it, it's completely extraneous to the main plot. It just absolutely feels a bit tacked yeah. on. But that's quite it's generous. Like that yes, it is. That's the thing. That at the same time, there's a there's such thing as too much. Yeah, and that's what this game is is teaching me. 
and that's what I know about these games is that they have that reputation for being that because like a collectathon where is that right? These games is just it's just beyond so that. much to and it's this this huge open world where you just got to there you go go off do what you want essentially. But if you want to complete it all, you've got to do so much to. I mean. Like I said, I've not played these games, so I don't really have much context to understand it. But I'm thinking about Breath of the Wild, perhaps, where you've got mm. lots of quests dotted about and you've got the um, Koroks to find that are hidden. Yeah. It's like that, but on steroids. It's not. It is like that. It's like that, but lacking the steroids. Right. There isn't as much finesse, I think, to the way that those systems are, are laid upon each other in the same in the way that there is a great deal of finesse, I think, in Breath of the Wild and its design. So in this game, and, and I haven't actually experienced it to this degree, Agree in any other Assassin's Creed game. They do have, certainly the earlier ones, they have this reputation for being collectathons, as you mm. said. That's not the problem here. There oh, is okay. an, there is partly that, but at the same time, there's so much, even just if you followed the story straight from beginning to end and only collected the things that were necessary, you would still end up with tens and tens and tens of hours poured into it i'm on 80 hours and i did go out of my way to collect lots and lots of treasures and things i, I was clearing my way through lady chestershire and oxford senefordshire the earlier parts of the game i was getting everything mm -hmm. and then as i've got further into the game i've started to pare down what i'm getting so you can collect you can go and find like there are these little puzzle boxes that allow you to you have to figure out how to get into a secret space that then holds a roman mask okay and you can collect these Roman masks, but I didn't find out what the Roman masks were for until later on in the game. Turns out they're just for decorative items to put around your village, and I did. I'm not interested in no. decorative items to put around my village, so I I ended up sacking off collecting those, which is a shame. But at least it gave them a purpose rather than just being something to collect for the sake of it. It gave them a purpose, yeah, but then the it wasn't enough of a purpose to really warrant me doing it personally. Yeah, that's fair. The structure of it, the game as well. So going through the main storyline, the idea is that you're you're trying to build alliances with the different kings and leaders in the in, in England, uh, the different kingdoms of England. So you'll go to Oxenfordshire and do something, do some story there that ties into the people that run Oxenfordshire in order to get them on side. And then you'll go to Lady Chestershire, you'll do the same thing there. It'll be a different story, but you've got to follow it through to, to its end to get them on side and, and then lincolnshire and then snottinghamshire and then winchester and then yorvik and there's so many and they're so and, and they're all encapsulated in in themselves so mm. the the story it kind so this is a good thing and a bad thing every time you go to a new shire and start that new quest line it kind of feels like you're starting a new game Right. But it's in the same form as the previous six games that you've done. This this happens at probably about 15 or 16 times. Yeah, sounds tedious. Throughout the course of the game. Exactly. So you, I think they could have taken away some of that. So like I've still got, I've been playing it for 80 hours. I've still got to go. I've not been to Snottinghamshire at all. I haven't done anything in Yorkshire. I haven't done anything in Gloucestershire. I haven't done anything in Winchester or Hamptonshire or Essex or Sussex. That's seven. <laughs> and I've been playing it for 80 hours. And I'm th I'm looking at that and going, even if I throw myself through those seven places, I'm probably still looking at another 20 to 25 hours of, of gameplay. And I'm a bit tired of it after three months. <laughs> yeah. So I'm actually having to have a break. 
It's, it, it makes me think a bit of the of San Andreas with the see how on the map it was all coloured and it was depending on which gang owned or had control of that area of the map and as you went through like you might have to go and defend your territory from a rival gang and you had to make the map coloured to, to match the, the Grove Street colours which was, was CJ's gang. It just makes me think yeah. of that, that it's basically I'm, I'm guessing there's a menu where you've got a map that shows you what alliance each county's got and it's basically a, a game of just making those all be the same colour. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, yeah. it's the same thing. Uh, but extended out across a number of hours in a way that San Andreas didn't. You know, yeah. you have to invest a lot in getting through that stuff. And for me, that isn't actually the story, as I've alluded to at the beginning. The story of Assassin's Creed is like, I mean, it's Metal Gear Solid levels of convoluted. Oh. Right. Mainly because they started the idea off and they didn't have any uh, clear idea of where to go with it. And they've tied themselves in knots over the over the course of the last 15 years. They have paired it back a little bit with this soft reboot. But this, everything that you're doing now still ties into all of the lore mm-hmm. of, the, of the previous games. So you've got all this stuff that if you even drop out of one of the games, you don't necessarily understand exactly what's going on and what people's motivations are and all of that. And actually the stories that they're telling about the Vikings, they're not, I I don't know if they're interesting enough for me to pursue above and beyond exploration. Okay. So I'm not driven to play this game by the story. I'm driven to play the game because I get to explore these new areas, uh, these new spaces. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I do have a sense of a certain lack of closure because I haven't finished the storyline and I yeah. don't know what happens to people. So even though I'm not wholly invested in that, I still need it to finish so <laughs> for my own sake. So what's your long-term goal with this? Are you going to put it down for about a month and then come back to it? Or are you going to put it down for longer and then come back to it? Or are you just going to plow on through even though you're not really enjoying it? Well, me and Hannah have both decided, I think, that we're going to have a break from it and come back and see if we can see it with fresh eyes and enjoy it the way that we have. Because we've played this for three months. This has basically been the only game. Every like when every time we pick up a game, this has been the game that we've gone for. Yeah. I got this. I got Final Fantasy VII Remake. And before Christmas, if you remember, listeners, I managed to wheedle out of my wife Ghost of Tsushima early so that I could play it for our best of uh, 2020. Absolutely. So those three games... Uh, th- those two games oh and then i got hyrule warriors the age of calamity for my birthday in february so all of those games are still on the back burner waiting for me oh and disco elysium which i got on it in a sale which i really really want to play that uh, it, the director's cut comes out in seven days so i might as well wait for that all of these brilliant games that i'm waiting to play uh, we're just plowing on with assassin's creed we're gonna put it down both of us i'm gonna pick up something else and play that for a bit and then as i say see if i can come back to assassin's creed and enjoy it and uh, yeah and enjoy it as much as i was enjoying it when we started yeah that would be my advice would be just to to put it to one side and come back to it later i think you've got more Mm. than enough on your plate uh, from the sounds of it yeah not to mention the hundreds and hundreds of games that i have on steam that i have never even opened up because uh we've both struggled with problems with steam in the past by both both you mean me and you or you and hannah well i mean me and you but i know that you never you never actually got taken for for as much as me and the rest of the world no I managed to curb myself so, after after did, yeah. after a while. I don't know if I've done a good job of representing how good this game is. So I will just try and sum up um, why I'm talking to you about it right now, aside from the fact that it's supposed to be a shortish one. Um, and what are we on now? Like an hour 50. of talking. Yeah. Uh, so nice and quickly. We've been playing this for 
for three months. It's a brilliant game. We've really enjoyed it. The exploration elements of it that have always appealed to me about the series, they are still there. The momentousness of things as well, like you can go and climb uphill, like huge hills in Gloucestershire or whatever and sit on top of precipices and cliffs and things. You can go climb up the face of the cliffs of Dover or and things like that. Um, mighty castles that stand at like fortresses on top of hills that you mm-hmm. go and absolutely decimate in these um, very grand battle sequences that tend to end every section of the of the map like every time you take over a place you have this big battle scene which is brilliant but also a bit tedious at yeah the same time. doing the same thing over and over again but this is supposed to be the, the good things about it um some of the characters are interesting some of the dynamics between the characters there's one particular pair of brothers one of whom i was already from the very off suspicious of who then ends up doing something that is very heinous and culminates in some pretty gruesome and bloody events so all of that's interesting there are certain mystery elements to it like you i think there is some hidden things that you, if you find them you can actually find the sword of excalibur which i'm quite interested okay. in doing so it ties into i've heard but i haven't been to snottinghamshire yet but i've heard that a certain band of merry men uh, okay are characters in the game as well so that appeals to me yeah um and i i can't wait to find them in the forest so lots of really good stuff the historical sentence there the contextualization of history for me that was a really welcome thing as well so yeah hopefully that is that's redressed the balance from me moaning about it because actually i've brought it to say this game's good but it has problems but this game's very good So what have, have you been playing on the PlayStation 4? Yes, so we've been playing on the PlayStation 4. It's available on the Xbox One as well and for PC. Um, you can actually get, if you buy the PlayStation 4 or Xbox version and you have or get in the near future a PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X, you actually are entitled to a free upgrade of okay. the game. So um, you you buy it on PlayStation 4, you don't have to buy it again for your new console later down the line, which is nice. And the newer versions of the game and the PC versions of the game, they have nice things like ray tracing that makes it look all lovely. So uh, yeah, that, they're the places it's available. Not and, the Switch, so you uh, won't yeah. be playing it. I was going to say, for those of us that have Switch, I know there are some Assassin's Creed games available on Switch, but I don't think they ported very well. Yeah, so that is the remastered collection of mm. Ezio Auditore's games. I think that's Brotherhood Revelations and Assassin's Creed 2. And the from by all accounts, they did not port work very yeah. well. And there are some extremely strange uh, graphical issues that, have your hands coming out of your head and things yeah. when you're climbing so it's, well, a, bit, it was, it's a bit it was when, when they came out i thought oh great i can actually finally get around to playing the mm. assassin's creed game and then the reviews came in and i thought mm, I'll, I'll leave it well i've never been back to an assassin's creed game prior to black flag not in the last seven or so years and i'd be interested because i quite like to play assassin's creed 3 which is where i as i say i dipped out of the series i'd quite like to go back and play that i wonder though whether i will struggle to do that because of the advancements that have happened even in the series itself and the differences between them and whether i'll just go back and find that it's a in relative terms a a poorly made game which sometimes happens unfortunately Yeah, yeah Um, especially with continuing franchises like this, you end up comparing it to what you've had most recently and Mm. it doesn't fare very well. For you, if you are brand new to it, I would recommend going and playing 
Assassin's Creed 2 and um, those the Italian-based games. Maybe get them from CEX or something like that, like a second-hand place, and have them on the Xbox 360. And Assassin's Creed 3, maybe that's how we could do it. You could play it for me. Yeah, sure. And you could come and you could let me know what it's like and if it and yeah. and how good it is. Yeah, sounds fair. That could be something to do while I'm nursing this cold. Yeah, exactly. I, I'll have a check on CEX when we're finished. All right. And uh, you can order them there and then so that I can see that you've done it. Yep. That's that's a Brilliant. absolutely good. deal. Good, good, yeah. good, good. I think we're done. I what do you think? Does it sound like a your cup of tea still or it really does. I, I the way you've sold it in the, those last few minutes, the way you talked about the geography and the history of it really does sound like something I'd be interested in. It's just having the mm. means to, to, to play it, which obviously I can't with my poor little switch, but uh you know, maybe one day if I pull my finger out and earn some money and buy a PS4 or something. Earn some money. Mr. Yeah. Moneybags needs oh, to earn yeah. some money. Mr. Moneybags. Okay. <laughs> For anyone that is enjoying our podcast, uh, you can follow us on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. The last one, always the last one, Instagram. Uh, you can you can come and chat to us, probably best on Facebook, maybe Twitter if you like. I just wanted to say as well, someone has actually taken us up on that. Brandon, who found us out all the way from North Carolina. So, well, hello, Brandon. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for for coming and chatting to us for a little bit. It was uh, a nice, enjoyable conversation. Maybe that will start the floodgates for other people joining in. Yeah, I was going to say you can be you can be Brandon too uh, if you want. Maybe not exactly Brandon, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Thank you again for listening, and yep. we will see you again for another episode next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>